0: I'm Hayley Jane Sims, and I'm Kate Bradbury, and this is your Manchester Stories. George Grant, along with his business partner Paul Delamere, also a graduate of the University of Manchester, set up Shindiger Brewery in 2013. It started with a homebrew kit in their student house, supplying beer for house parties to now distributing across the UK and beyond. Shindiger's headquarters is still based in Manchester, with four brewery partners across the North West. George thank you very much for joining us we like to start at the beginning of people's journeys so would you be able to tell us a little bit about where you grew up
1: yeah sure so uh, I grew up uh, in the middle of the countryside out in the sticks uh, in East Sussex about halfway between Brighton and London uh, literally in a country house uh, we had three dogs and within a five-minute walk uh, you'd be in a field for of for the cows uh, and then at the age of 16, my family relocated to the town of Lewis, which is about five miles north of Brighton. Uh, and at that point I moved schools to Brighton as well. Uh, and then Brighton became quite a big influence and in part of my formative years from those ages of 16 to 18.
0: And what led you to kind of come up to Manchester? It's quite a, quite a long way from
1: Brighton. Uh, so having been growing up in the countryside, uh, it was probably really enjoyable to the age of about 13, 14. And then when I got a bit older and started discovering you know, new things going out, girls, etc., all that kind of stuff, I really wanted to, uh, to experience more of kind of like the bright lights of the city. And I got a taste for that in those two years at Brighton. So for me, it was all about the university choice was choosing a good university, uh, but also it had to be a city university. Um, my first choice was actually Bristol, uh, but I didn't get into Bristol. And then my second choice was Manchester. But I think a, a really interesting point about that I remember at the time actually being quite devastated by the fact that I hadn't got into my first choice, Bristol. And something I heard later on that that stuck by by me as a really interesting sort of almost sort of uh, metaphor for stuff that can happen in life. Is I remember. An interview, interview I heard with uh, radio producer Annie Mac, and she, and she was telling a story about how she applied for her, her first choice university I think it was somewhere in I can't remember maybe Dublin and she ended up at another university Queen's in Belfast and at the time she was really disappointed but it enabled her to get that getting her second option turned out to be absolutely amazing and she found all these kind of opportunities and obviously her career just went absolutely kind of you know she's now super she's like legendary in the music industry and I kind of feel the same now where my life's worked out really nicely for me with everything that's happened with Shindigger and the relationships I've formed and how I've kind of fallen in love with Manchester really but at the time I was actually quite gutted to not be getting into Bristol and I just thought that was quite an interesting to go through that kind of journey was quite interesting.
2: Yeah because Shindigger. <clears throat> it might not have happened if you hadn't met Paul and then yeah. yeah brilliant where did the idea first come from to buy that
1: first homebrew kit so uh so initially so me and my business partner Paul uh we were in our final year of university we were kind of best mates at university so we met in halls I think actually he was the first friend that actually made queuing up to register at Manchester Business School, kind of on you know like day one when you actually register, and then uh, we were in the same halls. We were friends in halls. We lived together with a big group of mates in second year, and then in uh, third year uh, it was a, we moved. It gets a bit more serious. We moved into a smaller flat. There was uh, three of us, and probably uh, just after Christmas, we're just going into the second term. We watched a, a, a documentary, and it was it was pretty stupid documentary actually but it was the guys from men behaving badly and it was like a three-part series and it was about them setting up a microbrewery uh and like a you know home brewing and a beer business um it just looked quite good fun and we just thought that that looks like an interesting fun thing to do um and we just kind of looked into it and then there was it was kind of the appealing prospect of obviously students you're partying a lot but you don't have very much money so being able to make a beer for 40p a pint, that side of it was quite, you know, very exciting as well so we basically just um, I think the initial kit we had which was all kind of like plastic buckets and stuff was about 200 pounds so we just put in 100 pounds each, The once you've got the equipment, the raw materials is like uh, grain and hops so it's, it's you know, it's really really cheap basically so the initial idea to start brewing was just uh, literally there wasn't really a business idea behind it. It was almost as like a a fun kind of hobby thing, just to, to just to try
2: to pass the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do you even get hops
1: and grains? Uh, so there's like uh, there's specialist home brew shops. Uh, the nearest ones here is you've got uh, one uh, in Stockport. Is probably the best one. Oh right. Or online is also really good.
2: All oh, right, because it's not just you can't rock up to. Field Sainsbury's and they don't sell hops there.
1: Uh, no, no, you have to, yeah, you have to go to specialist specialist suppliers basically. All right, I think the only only application is the beer industry, so they're not really used anywhere else, right?
0: Was it were you selling it straight away, or even though it was a hobby, were you like was the plan to like sell it to your other students and things like that?
1: No, it evolved very naturally, so um, sort of going in, I guess, a bit more into how it kind of went from that to starting to realise that it could actually become a business so the first first of all home brewing is actually very difficult very easy to screw up so the very first two batches taste like vinegar which is kind of what you, you kind of think oh it'd be easy brewing is a lot of cleaning but you kind of think oh the cleaning's boring we'll bypass the cleaning but then it gets infected and tastes like vinegar so the first two batches were awful about the third batch we got it to a drinkable level uh, and then we were just starting to you know, when friends were coming round and we had our other housemate and stuff, we'd start drinking it or if we were going out, we'd sort of be taking our, uh, our homebrew as like, you know, our drinks for the pre-party and then, you know, people, other people were tasting, oh, it's actually pretty good and then they would start, you know, we'd start maybe just like selling them a bottle so it just sort of kind of all evolved very naturally and this was in 2012 when there used to be a bar called War Bar in Ballerfield. Um, and they they actually had craft beer on the bar in a keg format, so that's like on, on draft rather than the Real L pump, um, and we were trying these very hoppy American-style IPAs uh, from this bar and wool bar, um, beers like uh, Jaipur from Thornbridge or mm-hmm. Punk IPA from BrewDogs, probably the most well-known one, and we were just kind of uh, amazed at this American-style of, of um IPAs where they're kind of very citrusy and they're very hot forward, but unlike uh, traditional English real ale, they're served on draft format. So they're chilled and they're carbonated. So it's more of like a crisp bite than sort of like a a room temperature, warm flat beer. So we were kind of drinking these beers at Woolbar and thinking wow these are really tasty and then almost trying to go and research them and recreate them in our kitchen and then we were making them and like finding out how these beers were made using hops that weren't traditionally used in the the UK market at the time so... Um, stronger, more powerful hops that were from sort of from Australia and America. And it kind of all very much happened as like a natural evolution. And as we sort of got more into it, we kind of got more excited by it and we could kind of see that. I mean, the timing for it just worked. I'd like to say it was some, we we're really, really smart, but a lot of it was just fortuitous timing. And this was obviously at the cost when obviously micro went through a massive resurgence probably around this time. We, we, There's probably been like three or four waves and we were probably at the start of the second wave so we were quite early and it was just when you were starting to see for the first time because we used to always you know do all our shopping in in the Sainsbury's in, in Fallowfield the big Sainsbury's in there and when we first started university there was no beers in there whatsoever except for your very traditional real ales by year three suddenly dog was starting to appear and the craft beers were starting to, to appear on the shelf. So then kind of could see how amazing this beer style was and how different it was to either your basically your macro lager option with no flavour or the traditional warm real ale. And this is just, so we got, we started homebrewing in the February of final year and then, and then we graduated. Um, and I always joke that basically I, I got two on, I had like an internship the year before, so I'd, Already had my career kind of sorted. I've gone off to do a grad scheme in London um, but I always joke with Paul because he got a 2-2. Again one of these fortuitous <laughs> situations yeah. where something that seems bad at the time has a good effect. He had to really think about, um, you know, well, I, can't, I, can't, I can't just walk into a grad scheme uh, and Paul is one of those people where Uh, I always joke that he's kind of like he's one of those geniuses he's very very smart but can't tie his own shoelaces but he kind of knew exactly what (laughs) he wanted wanted to do and what he's good at and he is kind of quite a good creative free thinker and he think entrepreneurship for the business school he had done a few courses through his degree in management that piqued his interest spoke to one of his lecturers about doing a masters um, and they were like yeah there's this course masters of enterprise which is all about setting up a business but you need to have a business idea to do the course because it's, it's a really amazing course actually, and it's that's been another fundamental part of getting Shindig to where it is. Is that course? And I almost feel like I went on the course myself, even though I wasn't on it. So, Paul was kind of uh, right. I've got this place in this course. This is what I want to do. Try and you know business, but from a more entrepreneurial standpoint than sort of like a macro standpoint. But I need a business idea to, to do the course, and then naturally we've been doing the homebrewing and it just kind of all fell into place perfectly where he put forward the homebrewing thing for his course and got accepted on the course and it's actually a really funny first message to that paul sent to me that um i've read out at, at certain sort of like talks he's done before where it's like a long facebook message and it's kind of the first time really paul proposes shindiger to me as like a business idea rather than just a hobby And it's going through this kind of like, you know, it's like a Facebook message which is like five paragraphs long explaining his situation, what he's doing and what he wants for me, how he wants to have me involved and like how I can help out with like, you know, the witty social Facebook posts and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, can't remember what the line is at the end, but it's like, so what do you think, boyo? All you've got to do is write some funny posts on Facebook and we'll get pissed at beer festivals. <laughs> and that's kind of like the opening, <laughs> you know, the opening, like presenting, him pitching to me the idea. And then from that moment, that, that was kind of where it turned from probably gone through this in a very long-winded way, but from hobby to starting to think about it as a business. Mm. And then through the master's course, we started to get more... um so we were getting access to stuff like Mintel reports uh, which is like research reports on certain markets that you know on, on all kinds of industries and suddenly we were seeing these beers that we were loving in, in Woolby, this hoppy forward style of IPA uh, we were looking at how big it was in America you know there's data like it's, it's growing 60% year on year um, and it's 10% of the overall beer market compared to the UK where these kind of beers were 1% and all of this kind of information from you know proper um, credited Mintel reports that was making us really excited. And then we were getting the support through the university, through the enterprise department. Paul had you know mentors that were helping him, and they were giving us like the encouragement and the advice and 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 contacts and how to source financing and how to build a business business idea and how to test a minimal viable product. So as a startup, the concept that you basically, initially, like, you're not really focused on making profit. You wanna put your product out on the market to see if it works for the cheapest possible price, i.e. the lowest risk. Mm-hmm. And then if you kind of get that kind of uh, seal of approval, that's when you can start to develop it or take it to investors and that kind of thing. So we did stuff like um, we we bought a load of beer uh, white label which means with no uh no label on it from a, another local brewery um and then we kind of stuck our own label with our concept branding on it for Shindigar and the branding was a really important part of it for us because a lot of ale at the time was very um we kind of felt that a lot of our friends weren't drinking the beers we were drinking because um the brands did not resonate with a younger consumer it was spitfire bombardier old speckled hen it's all about heritage and history. Um, but we thought the, the liquid is a lot better than uh, you know, Foster's, Carling, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we really focused a lot on making the brand identify basically young people, the market that we were in at the time. So we, we bought these local beers. We put our own kind of initial concept branding on. We took it to Manchester Student Beer Festival in December, would have been to December 2019. And we kind of did it almost like the Innocence movie style where we were like, we had the beers and we were giving them to people and we were saying like, Do you like the beer? What did you f-? they had to fill out a feedback form to get the beer and it'd be like, What do you think of the branding? Would you buy this? Our Feedback was really good. Um and then from there we then went and got a ten thousand pound wasn't a grant but it was like a loan through the government which was kind of advised how to get it through the man the enterprise course that Paul was doing. And that gave us the initial capital to start the business. I
0: mean, there's going to be lots of people listening to this going, hmm, maybe I should start brewing beer. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's harder than that, though. Much harder. Not yeah. just getting drunk at beer festivals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks that all we do is sit around and, and drink beer all day. But it it's actually becomes almost like a, it sounds ridiculous to say it, but like a chore at times. So one of the most important things is quality control. Making you know, beer is essentially a live product, especially the types of beers we're making. They're not, they're not sterile filtered. Uh, we filter them lightly to retain the flavour. So there are situations where, say, we have six new batches arrive uh, uh, on a Wednesday morning that are going out for delivery to customers on Wednesday. Uh, we need to sit down and drink through all six batches and test them. Obviously, you're not drinking pint. You know, you're having like a little taster yeah. and passing that beer to be acceptable to go out into trade so that's like it's it's the beer sitting around drinking beer all day is like it's it's very different more clinical environment to uh sitting in the pub with your friends basically
2: yeah
0: (laughs) does it mean that when you go out to a pub you don't drink beer or do you still drink beer
1: I know I drink beer all the time. <laughs> like obviously, because uh, one of the reasons why we got into the industry, and you know, I, I love the industry, and I love craft beer. So mm-hmm. I always drink other people's beers as well, not shindig beers. So, you know, to get inspiration yeah. and stuff like that as well. So I know literally nothing about wine because I. I we'll we'll never ever drink wine if we're in a restaurant I'll always go for beer because it's always like every opportunity to drink beer is like a learning experience
0: Was business inevitable for you um, with your degree? Was it always something that you were going to go into?
1: Uh, So uh, my dad was like a a businessman worked in the city Um, and obviously I did my degree was in international business finance and economics I kind of felt that I had a bit of a business mindset but I was always looking at it initially from a, you know, like going to work on a big graduate scheme and that's actually what I did for the 12 months when Paul was doing the Masters. I was actually working on a graduate scheme for Aon, um, AON, who are the big insurance broker. Uh, but once I started doing that, I very quickly realised that, so I think I always had the, like a business mindset. I, I wasn't, necessarily going to go into like a creative field or something like that or like a scientific field but once i actually started my graduate scheme i very quickly realized i wasn't actually enjoying it Um, for me personally i felt like it was kind of i didn't feel like my work had any impact i was working for a company with uh, ten thousand employees. I was like a, a, on a graduate at the bottom rung of a ladder. Um, felt like a you know a cog in a big machine kind of thing. All all those kind of analogies and like the rat race that kind of stuff. So when Paul first presented the idea to me in that Facebook message, it was like, to me, it was like, wow, this is an opportunity to actually maybe do something a bit different. So. I would say, yes, I've probably always had a business mindset, but I didn't really discover entrepreneurship until I started looking into Shindig at the age of 21. And then as soon as I got into it, it just became immediately apparent apparent within about two months that like, wow, this is everything that I want to do. And it's like my lifestyle. And then you imagine, um, you know, you've just gone to university, you've just got your degree uh, I was fortunate enough to be privately educated for two years. You can't just suddenly go at the end of your grad scheme when you're actually getting paid pretty well. Right, mom, and dad, I'm going to drop out on my grad scheme. I'm going to move away from London. I'm going to move up to Manchester to try and start a beer business with no sales. It's just you know, it's just a ridiculous conversation to have. So initially, I had to kind of I was like moonlighting. So I was still doing my graduate scheme, but then moonlighting. I managed to get a placement in Manchester to kind of ease that transition as well. From the moment I start thinking about shindigger, my whole thought process was right i want to i need to get to the point where the concept is proven enough where i can hand in my notice to a level where my parents wouldn't disown me if it up <laughs> later down the line uh so the entrepreneurship thing i discovered later but it was something that for me has just been uh, a massive life-changing experience It's changed my whole approach to, to life um and I kind of feel quite lucky that it's almost been un- unlocked in a way because then I, I probably wouldn't have explored that myself unless all the butterfly effect stuff that happens uh, happened and brought that situation into reality. Mm-hmm. But that's why I'd always recommend anyone to look at entrepreneurship because it is a way to be, uh, you know, to be independent and be creative and potentially be successful financially as well, the more so than you could in a more uh, kind of traditional career path as well. Mm-hmm. It's the best of all worlds, really. If it goes right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if it goes right. (laughs) But I think another really important fact as well is um, probably before I started, I would have seen setting up a business and failing as like a big like taboo and almost something to be embarrassed about. And obviously I'm talking from a slightly, uh, my perspective here, where that hasn't happened luckily for myself. But obviously we've had lots of things that have gone wrong and failed along the way and improved. But my attitude now to failing or not working out, I'm almost not scared of it, feel quite fearless because that's part of the learning process. And it's more about the self-development and, and, uh, and sort of like the, the continuous learning. So that for that reason, I don't really mind the risks that are associated. So
2: you started delivering kegs out of Paul's car. Yeah. Um, and now Shindigger's on tap in loads of bars around Manchester. And how quick, so how quickly did Shindigger grow?
1: From uh, when you got that initial loan? Um, very slowly story. and gradually. So we launched in October, 2013, Uh and it's now uh, six years later. And now we're at a level where um, we have a team of 10 employees uh, we produce probably about 150,000 pints per month um, most of it is dis- 75% of it is distributed in the northwest, primarily within Greater Manchester but also to Merseyside, Lancashire, Yorkshire about 20% goes the rest of the country Scotland and London and about 5% is exported um, we've released over phew, probably about 30 different beers so that sounds like quite a lot but it's been a long process of six years of of constantly working and one thing that has probably happened is obviously we started on a shoestring we literally started with a £10,000 loan Um, as we've grown and we've had access to more resources and we've built the team it's probably accelerated a little bit quicker we've grown at pretty much about 50% growth rate every year but obviously each year the growth is actually bigger because you're moving from a bigger base if that makes sense yeah Okay. So can you talk to us about shadow brewing? How does that work? Uh, So shadow brewing is basically the the concept that we don't actually have a brewery. We take our recipes that we produce ourselves and brew them on another brewery spec capacity. And that's something that we started doing because when we decided we wanted to set up a beer company and we went to a bank and we were 22 years old. And we said, can we borrow £200,000? And they said, you've got student loan maxed out, student overdraft maxed out, you've got no personal assets, you've got no business experience. Probably the worst credit risk that you can possibly be. Um, so we had to f- go into this model by necessity right. because it just simply wasn't possible for us to set up a brewery. Mm-hmm. So we had to get the, so the, the shadow brewing meant that obviously you don't need that initial investment. And all the brewing equipment, so you're like sacrificing margin to brew on someone else's equipment, um, but you obviously don't need all the start-up capital. So it started out as the model out of necessity. Then as we grew, um, it kind of it it has it has its strengths and weaknesses, but we've kind of maximized the strengths of it, and I think it plays a lot to mine and Paul's strengths as well, mm-hmm. where. We're very much focused on the product development and the the marketing, the branding and the sales. So we can kind of focus on that. Um, And we were also able to grow very quickly. Brewing is very capital intensive, so you can very quickly spend loads on uh, big new tanks. And then when you fill them, you suddenly have to go and get loads of more new tanks, which might take six months to fabricate and all this kind of stuff. Whereas we can find new brewing partners Mm -hmm. so we can scale up a lot more quickly. Also coming into it with no commercial brewing experience, uh, we were able to learn by teaming up and brewing with you know, experienced brewing teams. Because obviously you've kind of got uh, mutual interests where if they want the beer to be good because then we're gonna come back and give them more custom as well. Mm-hmm. So the shadow brewing is something that we have consciously decided to keep as our business model because of the advantages it, it brings with enabling us to, to kind of scale quickly and it plays more to our strengths
2: so manchester has a strong and thriving craft beer yeah. and street food scene at the moment mm-hmm. what is Shindigger's part
1: well there's loads there's loads of amazing stuff going on within the brewing world you've got Cloudwater water Co. who have been voted the second best brewery in the world and probably the most um probably most highly regarded rating system for for breweries there is um so and there's loads of other amazing breweries, Track and, and many others that I could list. I think our role within the the, the the craft beer market, I think, especially when we started, is we made more kind of like gateway beers. So very accessible. Because beers probably, it's a little bit like music where the more niche you go, you might get more hardcore following, but you move away from a mainstream audience. Whereas we kind of specialised, especially in the early days in making light citrusy hot forward crisp but easy drinking pale ales and session ipas that could be kind of easily drunk not necessarily just by a beer connoisseurs now as, as we've grown we've kind of and got more into it we've kind of produced more of those styles as well so like you know we've literally just in the last month we've brewed a 6.8 imperial stout with um coconut flakes and cacao nibs or we've got a 3.8% festive Christmas sour beer with um, clementine, star anise and cloves in. But what we're really known for is kind of like our specialty kind of, sorry, not our specialty, our kind of um, our our session IPAs, our good quality standard session IPAs. And I think what what we've done and what we've brought to the Manchester beer market is probably by being more accessible as a brand um, is hopefully made craft beer more accessible to more people especially the younger demographic in manchester and it increased the the grown craft beer market in manchester through that because it's one of those things craft beer where your your brew, other brewer craft brewers who are kind of you know essentially they are competitors but they're also kind of allies because really what we're all trying to do is increase craft beer as the overall market share of the overall beer market against kind of you know the large macro breweries so it, we kind of want when you go into a supermarket you don't necessarily see the 24 packs of Stella for 20 quid that more people are coming and buying craft beers instead Mm. and I think our role within that in Manchester has been making increasing its accessibility to a younger audience.
2: I like that it's not changed at all since that homebrew kit in your house in Fallowfield that sort of mission is clear that's good. Thank you.
0: (laughs) With the the flavours that you talk about like these speciality things are there any flavours combinations that you've tried that have just been awful and you thought oh that'd be really good and then you've made it and you've been like oh no uh
1: yeah I mean that that happens all the time so kind of uh the the beer recipe process basically goes uh you have in your head an idea of something that you think will taste amazing and then you create it and then Often the one that you created doesn't taste that you thought would taste amazing, doesn't taste that good, and then the other way around, the one that you weren't that excited about is the one that tastes better. So uh, if I look at, our, um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, but we've had terrible, terrible experiments with doing lemon and lime lagers, like a zesty lager, oh, right. that have just been just like just tasted terrible and awful, but. I had visions of like being an amazing Chris Summers Day drink, um, and then other stuff like everything's peachy, maybe, which was like a peach beer um, that actually tasted really good, which I didn't necessarily have such high hopes for, and, and kind of went the other way. So it does it does happen, and there's a lot of experimentation. Um, and one of the most frustrating things with brewing is the process takes about a month. So to try and refine a beer, you almost have to. you you say you brew the beer, you have the beer in a month, you kind of have to wait until you have that beer because you don't know what the final product's like until you then did the next test. Um, So it can take quite a long time to develop beers. Uh, So, you know, even, even if you were the most efficient and you were almost brewing the next day from when you tried it, you'd only get say 10 to 12 tests in one year. There are certain things you can do around it like split batching. So what we'll do is we'll brew a batch, put it into, once it's done the initial brew day process, we'll put it into four, we'll split it down into four and, and kind of run four tests concurrently on the same base beer. But the process of developing beers is 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 slow and takes quite a long time just because of the natural processes of fermentation that, that is required.
2: What's your favourite beer?
1: Uh, a Schindiger beer. Schindiger. <laughs> My, uh, probably two. Uh, I really love East Coast IPAs. So me, me and Paul have done a research trip to... Uh, New England which is like home of like a certain more modern style of IPA where instead of being dry crisp and bitter uh, it's um, soft so low bitterness super super tropical and fruity and uh, really kind of like dense mouthfeel so you put much thicker protein malts in like wheat and oats uh, our beer that is within that style at liar, that's probably the beer that if I'm going to the fridge and there's all the chindica beers in there and then pick up a beer probably that one Or IPL, um, which I think is one of our most, out of all the 30 beers we've got, I think is actually one of our best beers, um, really well executed beers. It's like the East Coast style, which I was talking about with the very fruity tropical notes and low bitterness, but then it's also at the same time, it's it's still a little bit more crisp. Because um, it's a it's a lager, which naturally is more crisp and refreshing, but it kind of kills me because IPL is a really unpopular style. So even though it's like probably my favourite beer out there, the liar, it doesn't it sells terribly just because people don't necessarily like buying lager. So I feel like it doesn't get the 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 respect it deserves. Oh, I'm gonna
2: try it because I like a lager. I like okay. a
1: refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe IPL is the one.
2: Yeah, I'll give it a go. The Mango Unchained is my go-to shindigger
1: okay nice. Yeah. that's our that's our actual best-selling beer in terms of the beer we produce the most of.
2: yeah it's on tap at crow yeah i saw it the other day <laughs> yeah, nice <laughs> can you talk to me a little bit more about this christmas sour because i was going to ask you what have you got a christmas
1: brew coming out okay so well generally beer beer is quite festive once you get outside the parallels so you will have some have a summer range and a winter range uh, so summer range will be like we've got a beer called summer uh watermelon lager uh, the ipl falls more in the summer range some of the more fruit beers uh winter range we've got Lavita Coco, which is the coconut beer i touched on earlier Ice coffee um which is a uh it's like a a black pills and it's cold brewed in the same way you cold brew coffee so again it's a dark beer so it's nicer in winter um the beer that we have coming out the sour sour flower it's called, is a collaboration with Farm Mild Ales, one of the breweries that we um, shadow brew at. Uh, we did a summer release version, which was uh, raspberry and cherry. So it was like really tart, light, crisp, almost like drinking a Panda Pops, that kind of thing. It's like they're really light ABV, 3.8%. So they're kind of like really dry, crisp and light. Uh, and then this is kind of the second edition of that collaboration series with more of a Christmas focus. So it's kind of, a, I guess, like a mulled wine theme where it's clementine, uh, clove and star anise star anise is um it's like licorice mm. it'll be like very very subtle it's not going to be like chewing on a stick of licorice yeah. it'll kind of be like a very subtle undertone to the beer right and that's that's releasing this week
2: is it Ooh.
1: It's getting packaged today actually well we're in the probably history. as you speak it's giving cans yes
2: excellent <laughs> i like a sour and yeah. i like christmas so this is gonna work really really well for me so thank you <laughs>
0: Kate's happy I'm very <laughs> um, we're on to our last question now um, so we ask everybody this so we, we have a time machine because why yeah. not um, so if we gave you access to our time machine where in Manchester past or present or no present future uh, would you go
1: um, I do like to join my weekends and a lot of people of a certain generation never stop banging on about the Hacienda era so I would like to go back and experience that Hacienda era. And my favorite bands are Stone Roses. So maybe seeing Stone Roses in their prime. Good. Maybe wear a bucket hat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the next branded thing we should get for the podcast is the bucket, bucket hat. Hats. I think the bucket hat would go down well. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank it's you. Been a pleasure chatting Thanks for having
0: to you. me. Thank you for listening to Your Manchester Stories. Please rate, review and subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you listen. If you are a graduate of the University of Manchester, you can connect with us at your.manchester.ac.uk.
2: This podcast is produced by Kate Bradbury and Hayley-Jane Sims on behalf of the Division of Development and Alumni Relations at the University of Manchester. The music for this podcast was supplied by Blue Dot Sessions.